this evening before we jump into our message. God, we are so grateful for the opportunity that that we have this evening to be in your house, to be with our faith family. God, it's uh, not just times like this, but in times of need and desperation where this family means a lot. And so God, right now, for those that are going through difficult times, those that are going through the storms of life, those that are going through a continuous battle with with an illness or a sickness or hardship, God, we just lift them up to you right now. And God, we place them at your feet. Because God, that's all that we need to do. God, if there is something that we can do, would you show us? And would you give us the determination and the will to act and do what it is that you're calling us to do? But God, right now, we just place them at your feet. And ultimately, God, we pray your will over their lives. For RJ, as that's fresh on my mind, I just pray that you would continue to heal his body, continue to strengthen him, and God, allow him to get back to being the RJ that we all know. Thank you for the medical doctors that were able to catch this in time and the procedure that was able to take place to take care of the issue. So God, we pray for Robbie and Emmy and their family during this time. Just ask that you would comfort them and and help them to know and see, God, you're in control. And if we can just do that, God, in our own lives, to understand and know that you're in control, no, not everything's going to be a cakewalk, but God, there's peace and joy there in knowing that you're in control. God, we pray for our time now tonight in your word. And as I share, God, help me to be completely and totally transparent. May I say only what you would have me to say. And if it just speaks to one heart, one life, may it be worth it. But God, most of all, may it be all about you. And may you be honored and glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I've had a little bit of time to think about this, and I've got a a, a predicament, I guess you would call it, Uh, a a troublesome issue going on in my life. In a couple of days, I'm going to reach a milestone, And, and it's a little scary, this milestone. It's a little scary. Some of you know what it is, some of you may not, but... I thought tonight what I wanted to do is, is really just share my testimony. But as I was thinking about it, and, and I hope uh, that you each know that you have a testimony. You have a story to share. I hope that you know that. And, and I know that I have a story to share. And part of me, 
as I was sitting down thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys and, and a scripture passage that I wanted to share with you, I thought, you know, I don't want to share the same old testimony that I was kind of taught in school to write out. Uh, I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. Uh, I used to collect baseball cards. At Christmas time, my grandmother would get the Sears catalog, and I remember flipping through the Sears catalog, and I would always want baseball cards because I loved not just the picture on the front and and the player, but I loved looking at the stats on the back. And so I began to look at the testimony that I'd written out, and I began to think, man, here are certain ages in my life where these were, these were monumental moments in my life or milestone moments in my life. Here's the predicament that I'm up against. I don't know what day it is. I know it's in, I don't know, eight days, nine days, whatever. July 1st, I will turn 30 years old. <laughs> I knew, I knew that that would get some laughs. I knew... (laughs) here's Here's the funny part about that. I asked our students months ago how old they thought I was, and I was, to some of them, like 42, and I'm going, holy cow, wait a minute. No. But I'm going to be turning 30 years old in, in a couple of days. And everybody's telling me, uh, I had one lady here at the church. I walked in one Wednesday night, and she looked at me, and she said, do you ever eat? And I went, well, yeah, I do. Actually, I eat a lot. And she said, well, you don't look like it. Does Sandra not cook? Yeah, she does. She cooks good. She's a good cook. And everybody says, well, you, just, you wait till you turn 30. That's when it all changes, when you turn 30. And I'm going, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. So 30. (laughs) So now it's 32, so I've got two years. I'm buying time here. Um, I I have some fears, and I want to be totally transparent with you guys. And and, uh, as I share my testimony, there's there's four periods in my life that that I consider kind of those uh, monumental moments in my life. Uh, and, and that's what I want to share with you tonight. But there are several fears that, that I still face today. I, I want you guys to know, and, and if Kenny were here, I would say the same thing, that, that as, as ministers, as, as pastors, uh, we're not superhuman. It's amazing how the world today looks at ministers and they think that they're, uh, they're, they're superhuman, that they're, uh, they, they can take on anything, and that... Sin doesn't affect them, and that temptation doesn't affect them, when the reality of it is, guess what? Mark and I, Kenny, our pastor, guess what? We're human. We, we have faults. We have things that we deal with on a day-in and day-out basis. And I know that the Bible tells me that I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow, right? I'm not supposed to. That's what Matthew 6 says. I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow. But guess what? I do. I worry about turning 30. And I know some of you have doubled my age already. I get that. But I'm realizing that, guess what? I'm one day older today than I was yesterday. And you guys know as well as I do, guess what? There's no reversing that. 
There's no changing. I can't go back to 28. I can't go back to 27. I can't go back to 16. Not that I want to, but I can't go back there. Here are some things that I fear, and I wanted to share these with you guys because I want you to know I'm human. I'm human. I fear things in my life. One of my greatest fears are snakes. And that's an understatement to say that I fear snakes. I don't care what color it is or what type it is. And I don't care if it's this big or this big. If I see it, I kill it. Now, some of you don't like that because they're probably just rat snakes or black snakes or whatever. I don't care. It's a snake. So much so that that I'll never forget, several years ago, I was out in my yard cutting grass. Thankfully, nobody was outside with me, and none of my neighbors were at home. Because I saw this snake, and it could have been 12 foot long. I don't know. It was 4 foot long, maybe. Something like that. I saw it, and that's all that it took is that I saw it. I immediately stopped my lawnmower, jumped off, ran to the edge of our our house, at the corner of our house, picked up a brick, ran back to my lawnmower, stood on top of my lawnmower, and threw the brick down on the snake. And then here was the crazy thing. It didn't kill it, so I I stepped off the lawnmower, grabbed the brick next to the snake, (laughs) jumped back on top of my lawnmower, and threw it again. All because I was afraid that if I ran over the, the, the snake with the lawnmower, that I would end up throwing the snake on me somehow. <clears throat> I'm completely terrified of snakes. Here's a, a little more serious, on a more serious note. Uh, I fear cancer. Some of you have battled cancer. Some of you have loved ones that has battled cancer. I fear cancer. Heart attack. I fear that. You're going, Mac, you're you're 29 going on 30. Why do you fear that? I know guys that have had heart attacks in their 20s. I fear that. I fear diabetes. Something that I fear. Uh, Several years ago, my dad was... I don't know, he was, uh, I guess, 42, 43, somewhere around in there, and uh, was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I fear that. See, all those, those three things have, have happened in my family. They're either uh, hereditary or contagious in my family, or it's something that has happened to a family member uh, that I know. And those are things that I fear. I say all that to say this, that that I'm human. Those are things that that I worry about. I I fear something happening to my family. Do you ever lay your head down at night and and you just close your eyes and, man, this just terrible thing comes across your mind and you're going, why did I just think about that? Why did that just come through? I don't want something like that. I would never want something like that to happen. I'm human. I'm human. I I worry about those things. 
four times or, or four years in my life were very uh, monumental. And I want to pull from a, a scripture. Uh, I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to, as, as I'm going through this, I'm going to relate uh, to Job chapter 1. And as I'm kind of sharing my testimony, I'm going to pull some of the scripture from Job chapter 1. And then Matthew 6.33 is another scripture. If you want to write that down, that's just going to be a reference uh, here in a little bit is another verse that I'm going to mention. But uh, as I looked at my testimony, the, the first year that popped up in, in uh, my testimony as I kind of broke it down was the year of the age of 16. I was 16 years old when I truly realized my need for Christ. When I began to realize everything that had happened in my past and everything that I was striving for meant absolutely nothing because the key element in who I was was missing. And the key element into who I was going to be was missing. And that element was Christ. You see, I'd filled my life in high school with everything but Christ. Everything but Christ. And then... I met Sandra. Now here's the unique thing about Sandra and I. We grew up together. We went to elementary school, middle school, and high school together. But it was until my junior year in high school where I really started to notice her. And I believe the reason why I began to notice her is because I was so lost. And I was so desperate. That I'm, I'm not kidding you guys. It was almost as if she had a halo around her head. And I couldn't help but to notice it. Not that she was perfect and a goody-goody or anything like that. But she had that peace and that joy in her life that I didn't have. And that was because she had Christ. So at age 16... I began to realize that there was a void in my life. There was a void in my heart. And it was because I'd filled my life with everything else but Christ. Here's what I didn't tell you. My parents are as good as gold. My parents would do anything for anybody at any time. I grew up in church. There wasn't a day that I missed that I can remember. I heard it. I heard the message. I accepted Christ when I was seven at vacation Bible school. But you know what? I didn't live it. I didn't live it. I had it here. But I didn't have it here. And I believe it's, it's easy to have it here. It's more difficult to have it here because I believe when you have it here, you have no other choice but to live it out. You have no other choice. Well, at age 16, uh, I met Jesus, and then I thought I was going to have a come-to-Jesus moment with my dad. I told you my dad is, is one of the greatest men that I know. I love him dearly. And Sandra and I had started dating, and Sandra had a bigger truck than I did. And I remember going home from school one day, and I told my dad, I said, Daddy, you know... Uh, I need, a, I need a bigger truck. Why's that? Well, Sandra's truck's bigger than mine. 
she's got a four-wheel drive, and i got a little two-wheel drive S10. And he said, well, I'll tell you, I'll make you a deal. If you can sell it, then you can go buy you a four-wheel drive, whatever you want. You can go buy whatever you want. Well, ended up selling it. And I got a 1988 hardtop Jeep Wrangler. I loved that thing. Wish I had it to this day. Loved it. Here was my come-to-Jesus moment with my dad. I, being a teenager, I wanted to put it in the mud, right? I put it in the mud, I got it stuck and all that stuff. and Got the carburetor full of water. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a mechanic and I'm not an electrician, all right? Two things that I am not good at. But my dad is. Mechanic side of things. Maybe not electrician, but a mechanic side. And so we were sitting at home and, and we were going to a ball game that evening and I went out and I tried to crank my Jeep and it wouldn't do anything. My dad pops the hood and he gets the carburetor off and we're cleaning it out and he runs over to the driver's side and reaches in and cranks the Jeep. And I'm going, whoa, how did he just do that? Now, here's why I'm saying that, because in new vehicles, you have to push the clutch in, right? You have to take it out of gear and push the clutch in and crank it. In an older vehicle, you didn't have to do that. You just had to take it out of gear, turn it over, and it would crank, or at least in this Jeep it did. It did. Here was the thing. My dad came back. He cut it off. He came back around to the hood, and he did a little tinkering. And He told me, he said, Matt, go around and crank it up, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to hold these wires, and, or whatever, and you crank it up. Well, I had this thought in my mind, wait a minute, he just cranked it up, and he didn't have to climb in. Well, I walked around, and it was, it was jacked up, so I didn't climb in, and I just turned the ignition over, and the Jeep started doing this. <laughs> hopping. And my dad is up under it, like up under the hood. What I didn't see my dad do was take it out of gear. He had put it back in gear, and I started to crank it up. And he come out from under the hood hot. I mean hot. I thought I was going to die that day. I thought he was going to kill me. But at age 16, I met Jesus for real. I realized that there was a difference in just believing and living it out. Well, then came age 20 for me. No, I didn't skip from 16 to 20. There were four years in there, but at age 20, this verse, Matthew 6, came to life. And boy, there's something to be said when Scripture comes to life. When it literally jumps off the page and it takes on a whole new meaning. That's what Matthew 6.33 did for me at the age of 20. had a professor by the name of Kenny Korn. One day in class, we were studying this verse. And I'd read this verse. But we were studying this verse, and I began to realize what this verse truly meant. Because this verse says that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Well, you want to sum everything up, everything that we go through in life, everything that we experience, that verse applies. That's tough. 
It's tough to swallow. It's tough to wrap our minds around. But that's it. That if we commit and we give everything to Him, guess what? He'll take care of everything else. If I believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and He did what He said He did, I have to believe that. Even though it's difficult at times, even though it's unfathomable at times, I have to believe that. At age 20, I begin to realize what this verse really meant. You know, there, there was a time at age 20, I was in college in North Carolina, and Sandra was down at USC uh, in Columbia, the hottest place on planet Earth. And there was a time when we were 20 that, that we broke up. We broke up for a short period of time. And here's the reason why I tell you this story, because there was a time during that, that brief breakup where I'd come to the point to where I said, you know what? I love her, and I love her to the point that if us not being together is what makes her happy, then I have to be okay with that. And I realized right then, you know what? That, that's a picture of God's love for us. It was almost as if God was saying, now you understand how I feel sometimes. That even though you don't act like, show, or love me, even in your sins, even in your faults, I still love you. You see, God's love for us never changes. It never changes. No matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what trial we're going through, God's love for us never changes. And you see, I, I'm the type of guy, as part of my testimony, and I think I get this from my dad, is, is I'm a fixer. Anybody else in here a fixer? In other words, if, if something's wrong, you want to fix it, right? I'm that guy. If there's something wrong, I want to fix it. And if it's something that I can't fix, you know what I am? I'm a hermit crab. I crawl back into my shell and I shut down. We've had some tragedies in my family uh, over the last several years. Whether it's a death of a relative or cancer, whatever it may be. I'm not superhuman. I, I can't fix those things. Wish I could, but I can't. And so something that, that God had to break me of is, is understanding that, you know what, it's okay, Mac. You can't fix everything. You're not supposed to fix everything. But I'm a fixer. I want to fix things. But I can't fix death. I can't fix cancer. I can't fix those things. So what do I do? I'm reminded of Matthew 6:33. I just say, okay, God, it's at your feet. There's nothing I can do about it. It's at your feet. You know, there was a guy named Job. I love the story of Job. 
The Bible says that he was blameless and upright. That God found no fault in Job. He feared God and he shunned evil is what the Bible says. To the world standards, he was rich. And he had it all. The Bible says that he had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And had a large number of servants. It says that he was the greatest man of all men in the East. That was a rich man. Man that had it all. There was a time in my life at the age of 24 where I thought I had it all. Had the perfect wife, the perfect home, the perfect job, the perfect life. Then I became a daddy. Then I became a daddy at 24 years old. Now here was the only issue with that was my plan was to be 25. And I was 24. But I'm going to tell you what, as those of you that have experienced this yourselves, all I could do was watch ESPN in the delivery room. Because I had not a clue what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I've always been a pretty responsible guy and and tried to plan ahead and and do things the right way. But boy, when you throw a kid in the mix, whoo! And I'm going, whoa, 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 what what am I going to do? What do you do? At 24 years old. And then I, I begin to think back to my dad. I'd have to do the, I don't know how my, old my dad was when, when I was born. He was somewhere around 30 or so. <clears throat> but I thought, wonder what was going through my dad's mind. I know this, he got pulled over on the way to the hospital. We going to Anderson, he got pulled over. I do know that. But I wonder what else was going through his mind. See, that's the difference between me and my dad. When the doctor said, hey, do you want to schedule a time to come in? Sandra didn't have time to speak. I said, yes. You tell us when to be here. I don't like surprises. I don't want to get up in the middle of the night. I don't want to have to stop and get gas. I don't want to get pulled over. You just tell us when to be here. But I wonder what was going on in my dad's mind. I wonder what he was thinking. You know, Job loved his family. He was a family man. So much so that, that even in the Old Testament, it was a custom for the dad to, to uh, ask for forgiveness, purify uh, his family, his sons and his daughters. And the Bible talks about, starting in verse 4, how his sons and daughters on their birthdays, they would have feast. They would invite all the, the people over and they would have a feast on their birthdays. And it says that, This is what Job says, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. 
You know, 24, that was a great year. One of the best years of my life. And, and we could sit here all night and I could ask you, when was the best year of your life? When was the best year of your life? Is that a part of your testimony? Is that a part of your story? It should be. Because I, I know for a fact in my life that I have a story that, that every day of every year is just another page for that chapter. And we all have a story to tell. We all have a story to tell. And when Graham was born into this world at age 24, even though I had no clue what I was going to do, I remembered Matthew 6.33. And just said, okay God, I'm going to seek you and I know and I'm going to trust you for everything else. That had to work because the prayers that I'd said before, and I think I've told you all this, I prayed that he wouldn't be left-handed. That was my only request. Please don't let him be left-handed. And he's left-handed. <clears throat> so is Grady. And I prayed that prayer. I don't know why I did it with Grady, but I did. And he still came out left-handed. Then there came 27, 28, and 29. Probably the best three years of my life. Without question, the best three years of my life. Now how in the world does this tie into Job? And what does this have to do with the life of Job? Job was a rich man. Job, to our standards, probably had it all. He had it all. <clears throat> but I want you to understand this. As we look at the life of Job, the, the biggest thing that we probably... Uh, take away from the life of Job was he had all of this stuff and then just like that it was gone. And we mourn over that. We grieve over that. and We're thinking, why would God do that? The one foundational truth that we have to understand about the life of Job was all of these things did not belong to Job. They belonged to God. You see, all of the physical and material things that Job had accumulated... Even though he was upright and he was just in God's sight, I think Job, I believe Job, knew that it didn't belong to him. I believe that because of his reaction after it was all gone. You see, Satan began to dialogue with, with the Lord when he came with the angels and the Lord goes, what are you doing here? Where did you come from? And Satan says, well, I've been roaming back and forth across the earth. What does that tell us? That tells us right there that Satan never rests. doesn't matter if you're in a peak or you're in a valley in your life. Guess what? Satan is always roaming. And if we don't have our heads on a swivel, what's going to happen? He's going to knock us off. And so they begin to communicate. And here's what the Lord says to Satan. He says, if you considered my servant Job... God's offering up Job. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Watch what Satan says. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? 
You've blessed the work of his hands, so that his flock and his herds are spread throughout the land. But then he asked this of God, But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And then here was the Lord's reply to Satan, Very well. Then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. You see, all of that material and, and the physical possessions of Job belong to God. But so did Job. And God allowed him to take everything that he had but him. 27, 28, and 29 in my life were probably, the, the, they've been the three greatest uh, years of our lives. At the age of 27, we had it all. Had not a want, care, need in the world. Had a great job, great home, great family. Everything was great. And then God came calling. To a position that I hadn't up to that point entertained. But I was reminded of Matthew 6.33. And I was reminded then of the story of Job. Job had it all. Job had it all. And I felt like I had it all. And I realized at that moment that I could have stayed where I was. But I believed that I would have regretted it years down the road. And you see, knocking on the door of 30 now... I look back over the last three years of my life and I wouldn't trade it for anything. You see, because if God had have done that, or if I wouldn't have walked through that door that God opened three years ago, I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be standing here. And that's why I'm telling you that, that you have a story to tell. As long as you're following and you're pursuing the will of God, you have a story to tell. Every day, every moment of your life is just another page in that chapter. And when that chapter ends, guess what? You begin a new chapter. And every chapter begins to add up to a book. This book that we call life. And you know, I don't know when I'm going to go. I'm ready to go. Do I want to go? Selfishly, no, I don't. I have these four questions that I wonder how I'll be remembered. You know, I think about Job and I think, you know, what, uh, what if he had done something differently? What would be said of Job? How would Job be remembered? What will your story look like in five years? In five years, what will your story look like? Here's the thing I love about Job. Job gave God a reason to have confidence in him. Job gave God a reason to have confidence in Him. 
Are we giving God a reason in our lives to have confidence in us? You see, because I believe that if God didn't have full faith and confidence in what Job's response and reaction would have been, God would have never offered him up. But because he knew of the man that he was, he offered him up. And it's my hope that you're telling your story every day. Every day that you're looking for an opportunity to tell your story. It may not be like mine. It may not be like Job's. It's not supposed to be. Your story is only unique to you. But there's somebody out there that needs to hear your story. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for tonight. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity that we have to study it, apply it, and live by it, God. I have no idea uh, if my testimony means anything or a lot to anyone. But God, I, I have to believe that there's somebody here or maybe somebody here that knows somebody that's not here. They need to hear it. God, our lives are simply just a vessel. God, would you fill us and would we be obedient and pouring out our lives to those around us that need encouragement, that need compassion, that need love, that need grace, that need mercy. Father, go with us tonight. Pray that you would be honored and glorified through every aspect as we continue this night. In Christ's name, amen.